0: Hey, see if you can um, see if you can recite this along with me. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That was our memory verse. By the way, let's see if you can get the, the reference. What is it? Psalm twenty verse seven. Good job. I'm proud of you. That was great. I, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Now I'm proud of you. <laughs> uh, thank you. <clears throat> that was our memory verse for this past week um, in our Experiencing God study that we're working through. And, and I hope that you are committing yourself to this study. If you bought the workbook, keep going. Uh, This study has been meaningful for me in the past when I did it, but it's, it's meaningful again for me as I walk with us through this. In fact, I'm every single day I'm in the same day that you're in. So I'm not going ahead at all. I'm I'm right there with you. In fact, several times in the morning time that when I've been doing it, or maybe evening time if I don't get to do it in the morning, I've been sitting there thinking, I wonder who else in our church is right now studying the very same thing that I'm studying. And, and that's really encouraging to me uh, to be able to think about the ways that our church is together studying um, what it looks like to experience God. Uh, the verse is there on the screen for you. I'm going to read it again. It says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. It never ever ceases to amaze me how I can so easily trust in myself or maybe trust in the people around me or trust in the, in the systems, in the comforts that I've built for myself over trusting in the Lord. In other words, I trust in those things rather than trusting in the Lord. Psalm 20 was written by David, and if there's anybody in this time period who understands what it looks like to win a battle, it is David. He was a man of war. In fact, God would not allow David to build the temple to God because he was a man who had blood on his hands. That was gonna fall to Solomon later on. But God knew that David was a man of war, and as a man of war, he knew what it looked like to win a battle. He knew that the strategy and the resources coming together in things like chariots and horses gave one army an advantage over another army, and because of those resources and those strategies, it was more likely that the one army would win the battle over the other army. But there is something that is vastly more important than strategy or resources, and David is clear there that trusting in the Lord will win the battle. Now, this past week, when you would have been studying um, through this this series, what you would have found is that we can rely on our strategies and we can rely on our resources. Um, And you know what? We might do okay in life. In fact, we might would work through life with those resources that we build up. And you know what? Things are not too bad. We have a pretty good life. As a church, we can put together the best ministry plan. Um, We can raise a ton of money for good causes like our mission houses. We can hire the right staff, the best people to carry it all out. But if we trust only in those strategies and those resources, then all of that is for nothing because God wants to do so much more than we could ever do in our own strength and our own power. That's part of what we talked about this past week, about how in our own power, in our own daily life where we trust ourselves, we're not relying on God for anything, And we often wonder, why is God not doing anything of eternal significance, and why do we not see people saved around us, and why is this not happening, or that, or that, or that? And it's probably because we're in the way of God, and we're relying on ourselves rather than relying on God to work. Now, I've got got one of my kids who do something that absolutely drives me up the wall. And I'm not going to tell you which kid. Um, I will tell you, it's a boy. Um, (laughs) There's no girls to choose from. It's all, only four boys, but um, sometimes we'll be walking, and, and, and I think particularly of a couple of years ago when we went to the zoo, and um, this kid absolutely had to be in the front of whatever we did. And so he didn't know where we were going, didn't know what pace we were going to go at, but he had to be in front. And always, it starts out with this kid, right here beside me when I'm walking, and then he moves up a little bit, and it's not long, and he moves from being kind of front to the side to front, and the problem is he doesn't know where we're going, and he doesn't know at what pace I want to move at, and so I inevitably every single time fall all over him, and here's why, because as he's walking, he's looking around at everything else going on around him, because he cannot be like here, okay? He's, He's all over the place. And as I'm walking at the pace in which I know we need to walk to get to the place that I know we need to get to, he gets in the way because he doesn't know those things. But yet, as I think about this, I wonder wonder how frustrated the Lord gets when he's got something that he wants to accomplish, something that he wants to do, and he wants to use me to do it, yet he can't do it because I insist on being in his way. I'm like Colton. Whoops, I said, I said his name there. I'm, I'm the one that is in the way. And he's saying, here's where we want to go. Here's what I, I want to take you. But you're so relying on yourself that I can't get you there. And we got to go to plan B rather than God's best plan A. So this week, one of the things we talked about is just the simple fact that we can be reliant on ourselves or we can be reliant on God. And as I was working through this series, this, this study this past week, one of the things I thought about is just how much my God loves me. So much so that He gave His Son to die in my place, so that I would not perish. Perish means have eternal death. So that I would not perish. He loves me so much that even now he wants to continue to use me. But yet so often I'm distracted by the things going on around me. I think about the song, um, Lord, I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. And I know it's not right and I know it's not ideal, but I still do it sometimes. And all along he's saying, here we go. Trust me, follow me. I will take you where you need to go. There's a term that we used heavily this past week. It was, it was self-centered or God-centered. There's no in-between. It's, it's only one or the other. I hope that you've taken a good look at yourself this week, at your life, and you've asked whether you are self-centered or God-centered. Um, a God-centered life is one that just lays it all out there. God, my life is yours. You do what you want with my life, and I'm gonna trust you. So then let's make a transition here in our minds to, to what we're talking about this next week, okay? And As we move into week, t- week three, there's a reality that we're gonna focus on heavily this week. It's reality number two of seven where we find God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. Take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. Matthew chapter 22 finds Jesus nearing the end of his ministry here on earth, and he continues to answer the questions that the religious leaders ask for the sole purpose of trapping him. So here's another one of these trapping questions that Jesus answers. Look at uh, verse 34, Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. In other words, they put their heads together. How can we stump Jesus? One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. How many of you like it when a lawyer asks you a question? Not me. A lawyer asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment or the great commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, the religious leaders know the Old Testament law inside and outside, They know what is most important in life, but they try to trap Jesus by getting to answer something that goes against God's word. And they say, teacher, what's the great commandment in the law? So Jesus responds back with the most important thing that you can ever do, and that is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. That reality of that being the greatest commandment has not changed in the least since Deuteronomy chapter six, when God gave this command to Moses and the Israelites it hadn't changed when Jesus repeats the command again. And it sure hasn't changed today when we have all of this to look back on to see how important it is for us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. So here's a question for you to ask yourself. Just to, just to gauge. How am I doing at following God's command to love him? Have you ever thought about it being God's commandment that you love him? Did you ever think about that? God, the creator of the universe, the supreme being in all the world, the one who sustains us, who has saved us, his commandment is that we love him. And I want to be honest with you for a moment, I, I think oftentimes when we, we think about that question, how am I doing at following God's command to love me or love him, how am I doing at that? I think there's a lot of times that we turn to what we do as evidence for our love for God rather than who we are. Jesus is speaking to a group of people who, would, uh, who were very religious. They're the religious leaders of the day. They would have followed all of the rituals and the ceremonies. They would have been staunchly firm in the authority of God's word, particularly the, the, particularly the Pentateuch, at the beginning of the Old Testament. They would have held tight to the traditions of the faith They would have been the first to volunteer, or if they didn't volunteer, to volunteer someone else to do the good deeds that needed to be done. They would have been the most religious people on the face of the earth. And if they lived in our day, Winston-Salem, 2022, particularly Salem Baptist Church, here's how this might have played out. They would have been the first to tell you that they're a faithful Baptist. They would have been the ones who attend church every single time the doors are open. They would have fought for the authority and the purity of God's Word. They would have held tight to the traditional practices of the the Baptist faith. They would be the first to step up to the plate and serve in a specific ministry. They would have been the most faithful religious people that you would ever, ever meet. The problem is that being a religious person and truly loving God is two completely different things. I've told you the story before of a missionary uh, many years ago who was ministering in a desert region and One of the ways that he would serve the people that he was ministering to is that he would go into the city and he would bring barrels of water on his wagon out to the different villages that had no fresh water. So he would go to the the city, he would bring water to one village and then go to another village and then go to another village and he would provide clean water for all of these villages. Well, one day he goes to the city, he gets the water that he needs, he gets to the first village, he leaves the first village to go to the second village, but he never arrives. He never gets there. One day passes, two days pass. At The end of that second day, the the second village sends out a search party to find this missionary, and they find him where he has died, sitting beside his wagon in the middle of the desert. They get his body, they take it back to the city, and and they take it to the doctor so that he can look at it and try to figure out what in the world happened. And, And after the best autopsy that he could perform, he says, this man died of thirst the problem is his wagon was full of water of clean fresh water that he could have drank at any point this man died of thirst everything he needed to stay alive was was within his reach but he failed to drink and listen a lot of times we are that guy we come to church we give our money we do religious things but we never drink Sometimes we're motivated by guilt. Sometimes we're motivated by self-righteousness or emotionalism. Sometimes we're motivated by friends and family. They go to church, so I should go to church. But we never drink. We never taste and see the love of God. But a love love relationship with God is based on tasting and seeing and experiencing the heart of God. God. It's abiding with Christ in a deeply personal relationship instead of simply holding on to the basic tenets of a religion. It's a relationship over religion. And here's how you can tell the motivation of your heart right now. If you talk a whole lot about God, but don't talk to God, then there is a problem with your heart and you are in it for the benefits of Jesus rather than the, Jesus himself. If you talk a lot about God's Word, but you never read God's Word, there's an issue here with the love relationship that you have with God. If you spend a lot of time talking publicly, and maybe you're listening to teachers and preachers publicly, and you even find yourself giving affirmation, nodding your head, and amen every now and then, but yet you never seek God privately, then there is a problem with your heart when you care more about what other people say about you publicly than about what God says about you privately, that there is an issue with the love relationship that you have with God. If Jesus says that the most important commandment that God has given is for us as humans to love him with everything inside of us, then it must be really, 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 really important for us to love God. Here's a statement that you're going to find in your study this week. Everything in your Christian life, everything about knowing him and experiencing him, everything about knowing his will depends on the quality of your love relationship with God. If that's not settled, nothing in your life will be right. So right about now, it might be that you're thinking, you know what? i got areas of my life that are not right. Seems like my home is falling apart. My finances are a wreck. I feel like I'm never happy. I find no fulfillment in life. Could it be that your love relationship with your heavenly Father is not where it needs to be? I want you to take your Bibles and go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. In the next few moments, what I want to find and look at here is, is one of the most solid explanations for the love of God and love for God that we find in the entire Bible. First John chapter 4, I'm going to start reading in verse 7 when you get there. John says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, you have your handout with you. I would encourage you to take that out and fill in the blanks as we go through this. But I would argue that a right love relationship with God hinges on four things being true in our lives. And these are things that we find from the passage we just read. Number one, we realize that God himself is love. We realize that God himself is love. Starts off there, beloved, let us love one another, for for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love, does not know God, catch this? Because God is love. If you want a definition of love, look at God, because He is love. How many of you think love is confusing sometimes? I've been married 12 years as of this past year. I'm not, no, this past week. I know when my anniversary is, I promise. 12 years, and and that doesn't hold a candle to many of you and how long you've been married. But I feel like the longer I'm married, the less I feel like I know and understand love. I see love in my wife. I know she loves me, but I understand it a whole lot less the longer time goes on. I hope that I'm not alone in that. If I am, somebody find a counselor for me, please. Can you do that? Love is tricky. But you know what? If we want to truly understand love, we don't have to look any further than look at God's word to see God because he is love. In fact, all of the misunderstandings that I have about love, I can look to God to find the answers that I need. So if I've got trouble being patient and loving to other people, I can lean into Psalm 86, verse 15 as an example. But you, O Lord, are a a God merciful and gracious, catch this, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. When I don't feel loved by other people or even by God himself. The chapter before the one we're in in 1 John, John, uh, 1 John chapter 3, Pastor Rick quoted this for us earlier. It says, see, Look at what kind of love the Father has for us. Look at this love that we should be called children of God, and so we are. in other words, we are children of God. Why? Because of the love that God shows us. Uh, when, I when I feel like I don 't have any value in myself, I, I see that God is love, simply in the way Galatians chapter two verse 20 says that he loved me, and what did he do he, Gave himself for me. And this is just scratching the surface on understanding that God is love. There's a whole lot more that I could share with you, but for sake of time, I want to hope that you get the idea. God is love. Next, in understanding this love rela- relationship with God, it's important that we have a deep understanding of God's love for us. Do we have a deep understanding of God's love for us? Verses 9 and 10 In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And we know that God is love. Uh, John clearly outlines that for us all throughout 1 John. But we've also got to understand that God has a love for us that goes beyond anything that we can imagine. In fact, when we were dead in our sins, God, in his mercy and his great love for us, made us alive through Jesus, through Jesus Christ. We find that in Ephesians chapter 2. God's love for us is seen in the way that he created us, intricately, according to Psalm 139, intricately weaving our bodies together in our mother's womb. He loves us. God's love for us is seen in the way that he provides salvation when there is absolutely nothing that we can do to save ourselves. God's love for us is seen in the way that he sustains us. He's preparing a place for us in heaven one day. So those of us who have placed in our faith in Jesus, we will see God one day. We will be in heaven one day. God's love is shown in that. But here's the deal. This love relationship with God cannot happen until we accept God's love gift of salvation. That's your third point. We accept God's love gift of salvation. There is no way to have a relationship with God except through Jesus. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't do enough good things. You can't do enough bad things to get out of heaven. There is only one way to enter a love relationship with God, and that is through accepting the fact that you can't earn heaven on your own, and that it's only through Jesus and his sacrificial death that he died in my place and in your place that we can have a relationship with God most famous verse in all the Bible is John three sixteen, and it says that salvation is a gift. Ephesians 3, 8 says the same thing. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works. I can't boast in my salvation because I didn't do anything to earn it. And all that's required is that we accept God's free gift of salvation. If there has never been a time in your life in which you accepted God's free gift of salvation, then I want to tell you, today can be the day that you do that, that you accept that free gift that you enter into a love relationship with God. And if you want to know more about what that looks like, come talk to me after the service, and I'd love to show you, or any other Christian that you know can show you. And then lastly, in understanding this love relationship with God, we love others as God has loved us. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, in other words, if he did all of this to show us that he loves us, then we also ought to love one another. The love that we have for other people around us is proof of our knowledge of and understanding of the love that God has for us. That's the natural progression of this thing. We love others because God has first loved us. I hope you take a look at yourself and and just ask the questions. Do I have a love relationship with God that is real and personal? And then come back later today to, to uh, 1 John chapter 4 and ask God if you are loving himself, him, and, and other people the way, that you, the way that you ought. This week as we work through our study, we're going to look at how God pursues a continuing love relationship with us that is real and personal. And that's going to unpack more of what we talked about here today. If you're just coming into this thing and you're like, what in the world is he talking about with a study? There's an there's a Experiencing God study book that you can order. You can get it on Amazon. You can just Google it and see if you can find it. Order that thing today if you haven't gotten it already and just jump in with us here at week three as we continue this series through Experiencing God. Father, thank you for your word. And, and this is just scratching the surface today of what it looks like to have a love relationship with you. But Father, there is no heaven. There is no being in right standing with our creator apart from this love relationship. So Father, if there's anyone here who does not know you, then Father, may today be the day that they enter into a relationship that will secure their eternity. Father, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to take, we've got a couple more things we're going to do here with the service, but I want to take just a moment to, um, to ask us as a church to just join together in prayer for Vacation Bible School. Each evening, Monday through Friday, six o'clock to eight o'clock, uh, we will be in the auditorium starting here with, um, with opening ceremonies and then go through our Vacation Bible School time. And what an opportunity it is for kids to hear the gospel and respond to it. So what I want for you to do, if you will please stand, and I'm gonna have a moment of prayer over our Vacation Bible School, and then I've got something I wanna show you after that. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have this week to enter into a time of intense um, training for and pointing to you. Lord, I know without a doubt that um, we're going to have opportunities this week to, to share the gospel and give kids the opportunity to respond to the gospel. So, Lord, I pray that they see their need for a Savior and that they respond in such a way that gives their lives to you and you alone. But then, Father, there's a lot of kids who already know you. And, Father, it's an opportunity for them to be discipled and to grow in their relationship with you. So, Father, we pray that that is what happens and that, that, Lord, the discipleship that takes place as a result of our time together this week points kids maybe into ministry in the future. That, that, Father, maybe um, kids go and they share the gospel with their unsaved friends. But, but Lord, regardless, I pray that your kingdom is built as a result of our time together this week. I pray for volunteers. I pray for health. I pray for a good time. And Lord, that you would be honored above all. Father, I pray for Marywood Christian Camp as well because they're entering into the first junior week, overnight week of camp. And they have the opportunity to do the same thing we're doing, to share and present Jesus to kids. So, Lord, would you change lives as a result of the ministries of Salem Baptist Church this week. And we look forward to celebrating the ways that you work at the end of the week. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.